morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. You got the old guys with you. Oh, uh, well, those who were, um, you know, early birds get the worm, right? Well, it depends on how well, how well you like worms. <laughs> <laughs> it does, doesn't it? You know, who was it? Which minister was it that had the story about worms? I don't remember that. I don't remember who it was either, but somebody had this great fishing story about, you know, one guy was catching all the fish and one guy just could not, nothing was working, nothing was working. They asked him, and finally said, you have to keep the worms warm. <laughs> okay. okay. I can think of better ways. <laughs> this, this is why nobody lets tells me any jokes. I can't tell a joke. Yeah. So, you know, don't give somebody something they shouldn't be using. Um, Barney, I'm actually really happy that you're early because uh, Mary Stokes um, contacted me this week and uh, wondered if we could uh, uh, raise some awareness and maybe even a volunteer group who would help with the prayer station around <laughs> campus. Yeah, I've, I've looked at them personally and, and they need help. Would you be willing to discuss that for a few minutes towards the end and kind of see if there's two or three guys who, uh, you know, do you just, you just volunteer yourself as leader, by the way. Um, well, thank who, you very much. Who could at least raise the awareness of what might need to be done there? I think uh, apparently- I, I don't, I don't have not made a recent pass at them. I just know that neglect, uh, overgrowth, and um, and just serious environmental things around them yeah. have been problematic. And so there's been pr improvements. I did some personally, so I know that happened. But uh, uh, we can, I, I at least need to drive and do a pass. I'm going to be on campus on day, and I, I will. Well, I think uh, there's going so to be a push. At least I'll know what has to be done. I, I have no inkling yet. There's going to be a push, I think, to make campus a little more amenable to people being on in, in small groups. And I think the prayer station maintenance, you know, would be a, a great way to roll out that red carpet, so to speak. Well, and, and even, you know, we're starting outdoors, the Dodd and the kids. And so they're in small groups outside. There'd be nothing seeing every one of those stations as a, as a huddle for a small group on, on outside meetings. I think that's a great idea. I have not seen them the map yet of the, you know, kind of, the, I know there's been some deliberate planning around how can we, you know, do, do some things more outside on campus. All I'm aware of is what's going on with the youth. Um, but I'm also aware that we're trying to select uh, maybe six or eight specific classrooms with which we can equip special Zoom. Um, because when we have small groups like that, we'll still have some on everybody attending personally. But our class has had great success in 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 Zooming yep. and our and building uh, outreach to old members who are in Florida, who are in Washington, who are on the Carolina coast, and, uh, and so they don't want to give it up. What we can do is just have our personal and then use the equipment similar, and I think it'll work great. Well, we're all going <clears> to <throat> learn how to take advantage of Zoom permanently, I guess, would be good. Well, yeah, as a matter of fact. Good so morning, Marquis. There Tuesday. Hey, good morning, morning at those stations. Are you, Barney? Are you are you are you going to be there Tuesday to look at those stations? I can. Yeah, I'm on campus Tuesday for other work. Do you so. want me to meet you there? I can do that. To give me a time. Um, I, I don't know how long it's going to take me, but generally it'll be around availability for on your part between 1.30 and 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. Why don't I just plan on being there about 1.30? I'd be happy to have the company. Yeah. Okay. Where so would I be? Uh, in, in the south parking lot. Okay. 
So Barney, at the end, once we have everybody gathered, I mean, at the very end of the, the this time this morning, could you make a very quick announcement and see if other people want to join the two of you and just kind of do a survey Absolutely. of, uh, of where we are? Okay. I'd be fine, yeah. All right, fine. excellent, excellent. Well, good morning, Marquis. I am always, uh, everybody, everybody knows we don't, we don't ring the dinner bell, the breakfast bell until there's a speaker. Um, <laughs> In, in the, at least the time that I've been involved in the men's breakfast, we've never had to nominate a speaker in order to achieve that goal. Um, but it does uh, provide a little uh, clarity on the agenda. And um, I'm glad to see Scott Straw uh, putting in an appearance this morning. Scott, are you uh, in the Atlanta area or are you traveling? Uh, I don't want to mute you. I am in Boston. Boston? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Did you... Did you fly there or did you drive? He's back. I with flew. You, you flew. I flew. Flew up on Tuesday and I'm flying home tomorrow. Well, I'm glad you could join us this morning. I, uh, Scott, I always hear after the day after, and I find out that he's been, you know, traveling around someplace, and you know, the breakfast didn't work out, and I think he's the reason we went virtual, so he would have no excuse but not to be able to tune in from wherever he happened to be. It is early wherever you happen to be, though. That's the one thing I haven't. Uh, that comes with breakfast is it's going to be early. Well, I figure if the Braves can start setting records, I'll start setting records too. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, the Braves set a record last night up there. What was the record? I am not tuned in. Well, well, the night before, Ozana, uh, Marcelo Ozana hit three home runs in one game. It was the first time that's happened by a National League player in the in the Boston Park. And And last night, uh, I think it was, was it Duval did the same thing, hit three home runs in the same game. Wow. I guess people have been saving up their home runs. <laughs> yeah, and, and the that, other thing is that's, that's the first, first time, time since the Braves the, have swept the Red Sox since 2002. Wow. And no other baseball players in the history of baseball have gone three home runs back-to-back -back in consecutive games. I think they said Gehrig and Ruth did it, but it was two double headers, so it actually spanned four games So in two days. So it really was a phenomenal historic feat. I, does anybody know, I, I bet one of our TV folks who have worked behind the scenes in TV knows how many people they have doing data analytics while these events are taking place, because I'm amazed by the statistical you know, uh, depth of what goes on. I guess there must be somebody just madly typing away, figuring stuff like this out. Well, Google knows everything. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There is a complete company called the Elias Sports Bureau, oh. made up of probably dozens, if not hundreds of people who live and breathe statistics. Wow. It's like the reverse of the Farmer's Almanac for some reason to me. I, um, uh, actually, Richard Jarvis, who I think spoke maybe two years ago, he's a local pastor up in um, in uh, north uh, eastern Georgia now. His son, Alan, works for Google. And one of his projects at Google was in the NBA two years ago. And they did all the statistical stuff to sort of project what was going to happen and then compare it to what did happen. He has some very interesting stories to tell. But, you know, it's amazing what level of... Uh, technology we will put into sports um i guess because it fascinates well there's a bunch of money in it too there might there might be some advertising uh, going on there as well right yeah well i think we will have people uh wandering in here for at least another four or five minutes i uh i was, I was glad my alarm worked this morning 
Morning, Deaf. Morning. We were just discussing baseball. Yes. And record setting and uh, statistics. Were you taking bets on which Brave is going to hit three home runs tomorrow night? <laughs> uh, I don't know how many bookies we have amongst us here this morning, but I see Stan Woolley somehow knew what we were going to talk about and wore the right shirt. Oh, yeah. Did you have that shirt on before we started talking, or did you just go put it on? Uh, no, I've had it on. I Actually, I slept in it. I... <laughs> 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 I'm still fixing breakfast. I'm I'm listening. All right. Well, some I'm going to mute because I'm making noise. Okay. Thanks. Some people take their sports more seriously than others, but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. We were uh, we we were visiting my parents who were living in Huntsville at the time, and all I my my dad and I almost never watched a game together, and all I remember was Braves win, Braves win, Braves win, emanating from the TV. It was just one of those, you know, family moments to be together when something like that happens. My secretary years ago, when I was working at Sprint Corporation in down in Winter Park, her son is an attorney in Atlanta. And she tells the story of when Atlanta announced that they got the Olympics in 1996. Mm -hmm. She said he was on the interstate and it just stopped. <laughs> and everybody got out and started clapping. <laughs> Big announcement. I remember exactly where I was. Cammie and I were in the car together. We were at the edge of the Georgia Tech campus, right wow. where you leave where the uh, athletic center, the pool center is, right as that connects to campus. And we were going through that light and on the radio, they announced, uh, what was the Olympic head guy's name? Um, Juan, uh, yeah, the- uh, Samaran. Samaran. Thank you, thank you. With this many, with this many people, someone knows everything. <laughs> it's just a matter of <laughs> can you fish it out. The um, I think the first time I ever remember coming to RUMC was the third when would have been the Thursday night, the Patriotic Concert Week um, before the Summer Olympics. It was that it was that year, and the uh, the guy who gave the devotional at the end of choir was Jeff Diamond. And he was working for the Georgia Chamber of Commerce at the time and had always been involved in, you know, college level swimming and had traveled and been to international sporting events. And I said, you know, he gave a great devotional. I said, here's a guy actually doing stuff with the Olympics. It was a real part of us believing that RUMC was going to be a good permanent home for, uh, a, at that time, a very young married couple who had just moved north up 400, you know, from downtown, right after 400 it opened up. I'm glad to see more people rolling in this morning. It's, um, I've got a few questions at the, at the, uh, at maybe the end to kind of get a sense of how people are participating these days, but I will, uh, I'll, I'll give a couple more minutes here for folks to roll in this morning and, um, we'll, we'll introduce our speaker and um, we'll get started this morning. And he may have some table discussions towards the end, so we'll use breakouts. Um, but if not, I've got a few questions about how we're all participating and how that participation may have changed in the last, you know, three or four months um, as, uh, as, as we've gotten used to not gathering at the church for uh, the men's breakfast. Um, I believe there's gonna hopefully be some, some news around gatherings uh, in the Friday blast tomorrow. And, and Jeff, at the end, if you want to comment on some of that, I'll, I'll make certain that you have some 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 time to do that because I know that's something everybody would like to hear. Um, you know, any update you'd be willing to uh, be willing to. Um, and um, let's see here, we've got a pretty good. We still got people running in. I'm going to turn off the uh, ringer here.
so that as anybody else arrives or drops off, it doesn't alert everybody. If, uh, if you hear something and it's like interrupting what Marquis is talking about, help me realize that, that it's interrupting and I'll try and mute. But by this point, everybody here has been on more than one or two Zooms. And, you know, we're all kind of used to, uh, uh, if my dogs start barking, I'll definitely mute myself. And, um, you know, we're, we've gotten so much better. I remember when we did this the first time in April, um, many of you probably knew how to spell Zoom and that was about it. And, um, you know, now it's turned into, uh, if you can get through one day without being on a Zoom, you're doing good. Um, I, uh, our, our company has always used Zoom and we got updated to some new version and it shows me how many hours I've been on Zoom so far this year, where it's a Zoom that I'm hosting. Anybody want to take a guess? I've been on Zoom 1,100 hours already this year. Good. <laughs> that's what I thought. And that's a Zoom. Oh and that's oh like this, this Zoom would count because I'm hosting this Zoom. That doesn't count the Zooms that somebody else was hosting that I tuned into. And I told that to my wife last night, and she says, you're going to have to wean yourself off Zoom. So, you just you know, but a 1,000 hours so far uh, this year. Yeah, anyway, it's amazing what you can get used to. Um, well, thanks for everybody for being here this morning. Um, I'm going to open us with a word of prayer, get our, uh, get us focused here in the right direction. And then I will uh, introduce our speaker. <sighs> Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us together for a time of prayer, a time of fellowship, a, an opportunity to, to be inspired and to be attuned to what you're doing here in the uh, Roswell area, what you're doing in the United Methodist Church for men and for families and for all of those who are going through some kind of life change. Help us be um, uh, open to your insights and your your lessons that we can somehow see joy in even the things that we would never choose, but that somehow we are going to go through together. Um, help us never feel alone and to always know that the sacrifice that you've made is enough to cover every circle in thy name. Amen. Amen. Mm. So, um, Marquis was good enough to give me a, a, a bio to use. Uh, he's probably not been to enough men's breakfast to know how I tend to um, never quite do as I'm told. It's, it's confounded my wife now for almost 30 years. Um, but I do try, and it's just that uh, I fall short. But I will use some of that, and, but I, I kind of want you to know how I met him. Um, so, Marquis, wave, raise your hand here so everybody can see. Sorry, I flipped away. Good morning. Good morning. And um, Marquis and I met for the first time uh, sometime last year. I went to a United Methodist men's meeting. I think it was in Johns Creek. And um, I'd never been to one before. And so I, I showed up and really didn't know what to expect. And um, I got to meet several uh, guys who do like this, have a, a men's breakfast or lead the barbecue or whatever the men's activities were. And it was a great experience. And what I didn't know until the very end was that the guy I was sitting next to lives right down the road. And so that was how we got introduced to each other. And then last month, I went to one of the online meetings and, uh, you know, we, we got reconnected. So Marquis has been in the United Methodist Church for over 20 years. Um, he's passionate about his faith and the work of the Lord has always been first in his heart. He has a special interest in ministry for connecting and equipping men for leadership. Hence, being here this morning is a very natural thing. Um, he served in a wide variety of uh, ministry settings in music and technology and in United Methodist Men's Group, which 
it goes all over the all the all the different dif districts in the uh, the Georgia conference uh, in the Methodist conference. Um, the uh, he is the president of the Atlanta Roswell district, which, as you probably know, we have had twelve districts in the North Georgia conference, and that is being changed down to eight. And so I forget, I think we'll now be District 2. He may explain a little bit of that. And I met him in that capacity. Um, he was the 2016 recipient of the Harry Demon um, um, Evangelism Award. And he is, the, he is the husband of Pastor Jacqueline Ratcliffe. She's the senior pastor down, down the road, down Roswell Road at North Springs. So they are one of the closest, you know, Methodist churches to us. And um, I, if you've ever seen them, they have fields out. And as you're driving down south on Roswell Road, they're on the right-hand side. And I've never even gotten to go to a service there yet. But maybe you'll tell us a little bit about what they've been doing in, uh, you know, COVID condition. Um, they have a daughter, Megan, uh, son-in-law, Chris, and two grandchildren, Carter and Corey Bell. There are lots of K's in those names. So that's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm so pleased that you could be here this morning. And, um, you know, I, uh, you've got 20 to 45 minutes, and then if we need to take a break and you want to go another 45 minutes, uh, there might be a smaller group after the break. No, no, but please, um, you're always welcome. If, um, guys, if you want to ask a question in the middle, you know, use the little raise your hand um, indicator next to your name. You can just raise your hand. You can do that. Or I think Marky can probably, if he's got, um, he can handle an interruption or two. But I want to thank you very much this morning for being here. Um, this is a, a group of guys that I've gotten to know and trust. And, um, you know, it's great to get together virtually. And um, it will be even better when we can, you know, get together a little more face-to-face. Uh, -face. So good morning. All right. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Eric, thank you for the uh, introduction. Uh, some of the guys I, I may have seen before at, at meetings, I'm not sure, but if I look familiar, I've been in your church or possibly at one of the United Methodist Men's meeting uh, through the years. But uh, I'm always honored to meet with uh, groups of men that are doing ministry in churches. One of the first assignments that I received when I talked to the district superintendent about this position was naturally thinking that you want to grow the ministry. You want to grow the number of churches that are chartered. And he said, no, I'm not really concerned about that. What I'm concerned about is men that are having Bible study. So if a church doesn't have a Bible study, if you can start one in a church with men, that's what I'd like to see. So that became my focus. And over the course of probably three years now, um, we've done retreats. We've done a lot of events like breakfast. And Eric, I want to um, I want to thank you for what you're doing at Roswell UMC. Looks like you have a very active group, and that's what it's all about. Men have issues that no other group that I can think of has. There are things that we understand as men that women do not can't relate to, and I think we're comfortable sharing our Christian faith with other men. So I I just want to thank you guys for being here this morning. Um, and, and Eric, I guess if I had to start off with a topic uh, for a breakout, um, what I'd like to focus on is, are we living a life that matters? As Christians, are we living a life that matters? So this morning, I want to greet you in the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, it's a blessing to be here in your presence this morning. 
Uh, first off, I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior who allowed me to see another day and allowed me to be here this morning with you guys. Uh, Eric, again, thank you for inviting me to speak. Um, Eric explained how we met, and I think it was the beginning of a great relationship because uh, Eric is someone that's doing exactly what I think uh, men should be doing in churches, is, is getting men to focus on the Word, getting men to focus on gathering. And uh, so as I understand, Eric, you gather... How often do you gather for the breakfast? Is it once a month? We are the first Thursday of every month, unless someone runs us off from uh, the, uh, you know, normally our dining room, and now they can't run us off from Zoom. So we're right. the first Thursday. That's awesome. That is just awesome. I love it. So before I start this morning, I'd like to read a scripture. Uh, it's a little lengthy, but if you have your Bibles handy, it comes from Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 through 30. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and I will continue with all of you for you to progress and joy in the faith. So through my being with you again, your boasting in Jesus Christ will abound on account of me, a life worthy of the gospel. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way, by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that God, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I am still alive. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So good morning, gentlemen. As I said, um, a life that matters follows the crux of what Christ lived when he was on earth. As he lived, he lived a life that matters, and that's all of us following him and following his example for what it is to live as a Christian today. So just to give you a little background about myself, uh, I'd like to share a glimpse of what made me, as you listen to my bio, it may seem like a life that may have been filled with a lot of positive things. And for the most part, it has been. But I'd like to share some pivotal events in my life that helped mold who that person is. And I want to take a step backwards and give you a glimpse of some pivotal events. Uh, I was born into a military family, and I know most of you can relate to that. Uh, my father was a master sergeant in the U.S. Army, and my mother was also enlisted when they met. I became, uh, as I said, born into that family, so I had no choice. As a military brat, I was born in Lafayette, Louisiana, and lived in Maryland, uh, lived in California, lived in Washington, D.C., actually, uh, for a small stint, lived in Columbus, Georgia. But most of my time as a young adult was in Hawaii. I lived four years in Hawaii. Um, what else do you do in Hawaii but learn how to swim? <laughs> so I was even there when I started school. So my first exposure to Christianity was through my parents, of course. 
I was baptized 20 days after I was born. And as you can guess, I was raised Catholic. I attended Catholic school most of my life. So although my life seemed perfect, my parents' decision to divorce was the first event that shook my world. If you can relate to two parents that has divorced early in your life, life as I knew it would, would never be the same. So although my life could have turned out much differently, I was, I was pretty blessed to have a supporting, loving mother and extended family to continue to mold my life in the Christian journey. Although my father wasn't in the home every day, he would visit on his many tours in the U.S. Army. And um, I remember just looking forward to that phone call saying, I'll be there tomorrow or I'll be there in a couple days. And although I was an only child, I never felt alone. And that's important. My mother moved back to my hometown of Lafayette, where I had many cousins. And they were, they were more than cousins. They were like brothers and sisters. We all went to school together, which was good for my faith and, and for my family. So in the text that I read this morning, Paul shows us that even under unexpected or unpleasant circumstances, they can be used for the glory of God and for our good. So in that instance, divorce was something that was definitely unpleasant for me, and it was unexpected. Although it wasn't my fault, it interrupted what I knew as a perfect life. So my grandmother was a Methodist, uh, United Methodist woman. Uh, my mother and her siblings attended Catholic Church. So the environment taught me about serving and also serving others in ministry. I was an altar boy. I taught myself how to play bass guitar. Uh, my dad also played bass guitar, so that was some influence. Uh, I also taught myself how to play drums and how to play trumpet. Soon I would play bass in church and sing in the choir as a young man. And also during my time in high school, I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but I was invited to join the priesthood. I, be I, I went to a summer camp at a seminary, uh, St. Saint Stanislaus in Mississippi, Bay St. Louis. And I spent a week there with another friend of mine. And it was only two of us from the whole town of Lafayette. And I thought, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> we had a lot of fun, but at the end of the day, I understood that to be a calling to the ministry as a priest. Well, my idea of growing up did not include not being married. So that was one thing that I ran from. And I said, well, I can serve, I can serve God in other ways. And I certainly did. So when I started college at University of Louisiana at Lafayette, I started to challenge some of the traditions of the Catholic Church. And I started branching out. I was a part of a fraternity. And one of the, the goals of the, of the fraternity was to visit each other's churches. So I became exposed to Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches, and other faiths. And one thing loomed in my mind, why don't we as Catholic believers go to church with a Bible? I was, I was pretty perplexed. So we had what was called a missalette, and everything was kind of scripted for us, like the lectionary is, uh, week to week. So we weren't really encouraged to have Bible studies and study the Bible. We definitely didn't have men's ministry like this. We didn't have men's breakfast. Uh, there were other groups like men, like uh, Saints of Peter, St. Peter Claver, different groups like that. Of course, they were pretty big and boring. But I started to use my critical thinking skills in college to start to wonder about other things, traditions in the Catholic Church. And it started to 
give me a little bit more perspective about who this Christ was. Who was Jesus? Why are there other faiths that are studying different things about Jesus than the Catholic faith? After college, I started focusing on my career. Um, my, my shift began to be, of course, hoping to meet the, the wife of my dreams and starting a family. That focus started to, I started to look at that perfect family unit that I had when, when I grew up before my parents divorced. And one thing I knew, it would never happen to me. That was the goal. So after six years of marriage, I met my, my beautiful bride. Uh, we had a four-year-old daughter. And after six years of marriage, those words rang true again in my life. My wife decided that she didn't want to be a wife anymore. So there that word, divorce, once again, shook my world. This time, it was a little different because it was happening to me. My faith was shaken, and I began to question God. And if any man here has gone through a divorce, the first question you ask is why? Why is this happening to me? Although my life was a little different, I had to seek healing through working. I, I, tend, I attempted to work harder than I ever did before. I drowned myself in work. I didn't want to speak to anybody. Uh, I started spending more time seeking God, going to church, spending time in ministry, but most of all, I prayed a lot. And I prayed like I've never prayed in my life before, all in, a, in an attempt to find out why. Why, God? Why is this happening to me? I thought that I've been a good Christian. I've served. How can I go through this as something I vowed not to do? So after that time, I ended up moving throughout my career, traveling around. I ended up in Augusta, Georgia, uh, after a promotion for one of my, my uh, career moves. And I met this seemingly, I met this person that was very much like my ex-wife was. We started uh, dating. And after five years, I felt I met my soulmate. So over the last 20 years, we've been doing outreach ministry together. Um, we also had a very uh, phenomenal time doing missions work. We traveled to Ghana, Kenya, South Africa, Venezuela, uh, the Bahamas, Nigeria, as well as many domestic trips. And then we ended up becoming a part of the community in Atlanta, Georgia, Alpharetta, called St. James United Methodist Church. So here I was growing up Catholic and becoming a Methodist like my grandmother, who molded my faith as well. So after running from the priesthood in high school, God called my wife to be a pastor of a United Methodist Church. So God has a sense of humor. You could run, but you can't hide. So all in all, my wife and I have done everything together. And, and I realized that I have been serving in different ways. So now we have a, um, a situation where when you think that a wife of a pastor, they're in ministry together, I can, I can vouch for that. I am a husband of a pastor. So when she's in ministry, so am I. So all these years later, I consider myself called to ministry and serving as I've been doing all this time. So continuing to encourage men to live a life that matters is what's important for me. And you remember the daughter that I spoke of? My daughter, Megan, ended up moving to Georgia, moving in with us and getting married and also having two kids. So when God promises that he will deliver a life of joy, I can, I can stand here today and say he has multiplied my joy in having the time that I've 
that I missed with her rekindled and we have a wonderful life together. So as I, as I went through a few snippets of my life, I'm sure men could relate to ups and downs of, of marriage and ups and downs of life in general. One of the things that you have to do, as Paul says, is live a life that matters. So in the text, Paul repeatedly communicates one central thought. Only in Christ can we experience real joy and unity. So the first point that I'd like to deliver is to live a life that matters, we have to allow Jesus to live his life in and through us. And how do we do that? The Holy Spirit is, the, is within all of us as we accept our call to his, his ministry. So it's the Holy Spirit's job to produce that Christ-like character in us. We cannot reproduce the character of Jesus on our own strength. Only the Holy Spirit has the power to make changes. So God wants to make those changes in our lives. Scripture reminds us that God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That comes from Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Christ's likeness is not produced by imitation, but by inhabitation. The act of inhabiting or a state of being inhabited. And in dwelling, a place of dwelling, a residence. Christ must be in us. He must reside in us. So Paul acknowledged that Christ is working through him. He stated, and when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Jesus Christ because of what he is doing through me. So guys, we must allow Christ to live through us. Most of the time, the Holy Spirit's power is released in your life in quiet, unassuming ways, and you're really not aware of. It happens through the choices we make. We choose to follow Jesus in all situations and then trust God's spirit to give us power, to give us love, to give us faith, and also the wisdom to do it. So when we choose respect and love for our neighbors, that means we choose unity over division. When we choose love over hate, you ever hear that term about the dash between the the year we were born and the year we die? The dash is that life that matters. What really matters is what we do in our life, not just that we were here, but what do we do with it? Secondly, to live a life that matters, we have to embrace the adversity as a bridge to a deeper relationship with God. When negative things happen to us that shake our world, such as divorce, or when negative things happen to us, such as the death of a parent or the death of a child, I would consider that adversity in our lives. So most people tend to want to shy away from things that hurt, shy away from adversity, and rightly so. But what does that do? As I experienced in my life, adversity tends to force us into a deeper relationship with We may pray more. We may seek out uh, a Christian counselor. We may seek out another brother that we could relate to that will help us through that difficult time. So many of us believe that we draw closer to God through blessings. But to be honest, we really discover God's love, mercy, and grace through difficult situations and circumstances. So adversity can be overwhelming burden or a bridge that can take you to a place of indescribable intimacy with God. Through pain and hardship, God demonstrates how much we need his help. And in the last circumstance, if you've ever heard of the term, attitude is everything, to live a life that matters, Attitude, indeed, is everything. So Paul encourages us to live as citizens of heaven, even though while we're here on earth. As we've read 
Earth is not our permanent home. It's our temporary home. So Paul encouraged us to live conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And that's standing together, unified in one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for faith, which is the good news. And what does he ask us to do? One simple thing is to share it. So what we're doing this morning is sharing the good news. We're encouraging one another. We're encouraging unity amongst our Christian brothers. And if there's any one of us who has not had that experience of giving their life to Christ, we offer that opportunity here this morning. We offer that opportunity wherever we are. We don't have to be in a sanctuary. We don't have to be before a pastor to accept Jesus Christ. All we have to do is say yes and believe that we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and for the world. So life is a lot about perspective. So we think we see things from others. We are in charge of our choices. We are in charge of our attitudes. And most importantly, we are in charge of our own joy. We choose how we want to live. Either we are unified with one spirit and purpose, fighting together for the faith, or we're divided. So Paul shows us here that there are several things we must realize if we are to move forward on this Christian journey, living toward being a citizen of heaven. First, we must choose an attitude of joy and not anger. When things happen to us, we shouldn't be, uh, play the victim. We shouldn't be angry. Although I must admit, there have been times that I was angry at God because of the way my life was going at that time. But that anger turned into an intimate relationship which turned into joy, because I realized that it's not about me in that moment. It's about us as Christians throughout eternity. And we have a choice to make. We can be angry or we can be joyous. So Paul was facing a death sentence. He was in jail. And he said, for me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. He still found joy in knowing that whether he remained alive he could continue serving Jesus by spreading the good news, or when he died in death, he would be with his Savior. So we must acquire some perspective in life and learn to choose things that really matter, conducting ourselves worthy of the good news. It's hard to speak of the good news when you speak hate towards one another. I love to talk with people about priorities and making life count for something of good, but too many times our goals and our actions are not really related. We desire to be like Christ, but sometimes our words and actions don't reflect it. That, that requires some perspective, and it requires an attitude change. So joy is not based on our circumstance. It's not like a job or a financial stability. In fact, like I said earlier, joy is a choice, a choice to believe that God is in control and God has your best interests at heart. That's why he gives us joy. But I know it's not always easy to get to that place. So this morning, gentlemen, I'd like for us to think about those three issues, those three topics, those three bullet points that I spoke of. Maybe we could look at them. Uh, Eric, we might want to look at these as being some breakouts. But to live a life that matters, first of all, we have to allow Jesus to live his life through us. When others see us, do they see the light of Christ in us? It may be more apparent to some than others. Secondly, we should embrace adversity as a bridge to a deeper relationship with God. Are we living a life that matters by embracing difficult circumstances and following a deeper relationship with God? And thirdly, 
remembering that attitude is everything. Even though we may go through a negative circumstance, is our attitude displaying where we are? If we go through a job loss, are we mad at God? If we go through a job loss, are we angry because we can't find a, another job? Our attitude should be, we serve more, we pray more, we seek that deeper relationship with God, and we allow him to guide us to our next assignment, or we allow him to let us know that it's not about going through what we want to go through, but letting him lead us and finding our purpose. So those three points I want us to ponder today, and as we, as we break out or as we just talk about answering those questions, I'd like to hear some, some perspectives of how we live a life that matters from your perspective. So in other words, are we living a life that matters? Christ did, will we? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I don't mind initiating that. And if you uh, uh, wanna raise your sort of hand as, as I'm talking here, I had a situation just last week where um, I, I, I gave a devotional on choosing joy, Wednesday well, night at the Board of Stewards meeting. And that's what was on my mind. And I'm so glad to hear you use some of those same words this morning. And um, I, uh, I, I had enjoyed preparing for that. And it was a devotional that really started for me by looking for, you know, what's my third word? What, where do I find my faith rooted? And for me, it's trust. Trust in a situation like this. If I start talking, it's going to work out okay. It doesn't mean that all the words are prepared in advance. And thank you so much for, you know, thinking through exactly what you were going to say today. And I can tell that, you know, you've given your witness and your testimony before. And that's an experience that many of us have not done over and over again. And being involved in the United Methodist Men activities gives you some real opportunities to do that where people know to expect it. What I think we're all challenged by is when people aren't expecting that opportunity and do you feel comforted by knowing you're not alone? Well, Wednesday night after I gave that devotional, um, I was sitting in front of the TV and my phone went off and a friend of mine who is now moved to a different part of the state and I said, if you ever need an adult at your house, his kids are now living in his house, call me. So the phone rings and I say, you know, what's up? And it is in a situation where he needs an adult to go over to his house. And I won't go into the details here, but it's been a wild ride for those for the last week. Um, and to watch this father who is in, in terrible anguish at a distance because he cannot intervene. He's too far away. He can't get there in time. But to A, ask for help. Now, I'd already offered, and uh, I mean, how many times have we offered, you know, we say it in, in, in almost, and is there anything I can do? Is there anything I can do? But every once in a while, there is something that you can do. And when that offer comes back, when it's returned to you, you need to just drop what it is you're doing and do it. Okay. And so three hours later in the ER, I'm getting to know his other son, who's been going through some life changes himself. And as I and as I get to be a proxy for this father who I know and trust and, 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 and have gotten to love through a divorce, um, I am terribly, terribly conflicted. How could this have been avoided? What, you know, all these things that men try and do to fix something, as opposed to just feeling with the people who are experiencing it and trusting that God will fill that up and that you don't have to fill that up. Well, here we are a week later and I have seen healing take place. I have seen a father restored to his, his son. Um, now they got a long way to go and there are 
there are some real bumps in that road that they're going to travel. But I have seen that live its life, a full life cycle of that in the last week. And it is so easy to tell people about that because I didn't read about it. I didn't hear about it. I saw it happen and I was there. And it was beautiful to see the way God, even in the midst of what was terrible anguish and danger, um, broke through, broke through. So um, um, I, I've been collecting these D words and divorce is a, a D word that probably gets divorced. It's like one, two, and three in the list. Um, and, and you write, you said it right up front. Men need to be in a safe space where we can say that word and it should terrify you. And if you've been through it, I can only imagine what the aftershocks are when somebody brings it up. So thank you for being willing to share part of your divorce story. Yes. But, you know, doubts that we have, disappointments that we have, debt when we, there's a job change that we didn't plan for. Um, you know, death is not the only D word that scares us. And this is a safe group that, that you can talk about with that. Um, does anybody else have uh, uh, something that's gone on recently or even in their past that they want to share? I feel like Marquis has opened that door for us this morning. And I, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot, but, you know, this is a safe space. And these are men that have been through stuff. They've been through stuff with their families. And it is an incredible resource to know that you can do that. Um, we're not good at asking for help. So I celebrate the fact that, you know, last Wednesday night, the phone rang and it didn't get, it didn't go to voicemail, right? It was one of those, don't let it go to voicemail, answer that call. Um, I don't see any hands raised and I will, I will not, uh, I will not protract that, but it was, I celebrate that. And, you know, it's a week later, I'm able to see the joy. I wasn't necessarily able to find joy in every moment of that experience, but um, boy, was I, I was thankful for the first responders. You know, they showed up when they needed to show up. They knew what to do. They looked after this family who they don't know anything about, right? They're doing that anonymously. And how, how I celebrate, especially right now, where every time they're in a situation, they're at risk. Um, you know, we're not gathered together right now because it's not safe to gather together and not know what the implications are going to be for your family or if you're going to get sick in two weeks. I've been spreading it for two weeks. You know, it's it's really an, an unusual time for us right now. But um, Marquis, I thank you so much for being with us this morning. Um, I, uh, I I have a, a few other announcements that I want to do, but I don't want to, I, Kimmy always tells me that give them more time and people will speak up. You don't have to fill every every moment with input. Barney, would you like to say something? Wait a minute, you're muted. I'm, I'm, I'm unmuted now. Good deal. I'd like to bring a different perspective to the D word. Sandy and I will celebrate next February our awesome. those 65 years together. And that has not, for us, brought divorce, but it brought divorce as an experience. We had two of our three children who went through inappropriate first marriages. And and that can be an, an entirely different experience as a parent, because when you go through that beautiful wedding ceremony, um, that uh, and and you participated in it, and you, in a sense, adopted uh, another child, you adopted the spouse, um, and and in they're part of your family, they're part of your life. You fall in love with them, uh, and so when that divorce happens. It's as painful uh, for you as parents as it is for the participant. 
Um, and, and so, um, and there's good parts of that. Um, th those divorces in retrospect had to have happened. But um, as it came out, uh, both of my children uh, that went through that are happily married and now for multiple decades. Um, and I have uh, out of that grandchildren and I have children from grandchildren. So uh, Sandy and I um, have a, an extended family that goes down to grace and we enjoy them greatly. But I will share with you that putting your children through divorce uh, can be an exasperating thing because if you lose a child um, and you go through that mourning process and then you live with the outlaws, the, the in-laws that you also considered to be friends, um, you were your social friends, you were, um, in a sense, uh, they were part of your extended family. So you lose family. So it is a, it, it, when, when it does happen, uh, I just bring that um, other perspective to, to the table. Um, and the, the joy uh, outcome of that is that, that uh, we have a beautiful family that goes down three more generations. Uh, so it does come out joyful and it does come out right. But when you go through it, it can be a terrible, terrible, devastating experience. Just wanted to share that from a different perspective. Jeff? Um, yeah, thanks. Um, I wanted to kind of pick up on Marquis' uh, question to us about, are we living a life that matters? And especially that last point about attitude um, and kind of give a shout out to this group and some of the groups that I'm working with here at the church. The, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the virus has been raging on now for months and disrupted everybody's life and things that we want to do. And so it's easy to get grumpy and, and irritated and lash out at, at people. Um, but I've, I've been so impressed with how uh, our, our faith matters uh, to the point that we're willing to uh, adapt and find new ways of gathering and meeting. And so this group has, you know, embraced Zoom. It's, uh, we miss the bacon and, um, and the getting together. And so, you know, the, the choice that everybody's making is, okay, well, I just won't do anything and I'll be mad and I'll stomp around. But, you know, we continue to meet and folks are finding ways to do that. And so we're adjusting our attitude and finding the best out of a bad situation. And then I work with uh, Marquis, I work with the, the Sunday school classes here at the church and the same thing, they are amazingly positive uh, when I meet and talk, you know, they're meeting over Zoom. A lot of them are having higher attendance uh, because people from wherever they uh, are are gathering together. And um, it's not the hope of these classes that we continue that forever, but for the time frame that we're working in, they're making the best of it. Um, and at least when I'm around, uh, they're talking, you know, positively about the church and about their class and about their friends and uh, and even uh, being able to reach out, bring in some new people to the class that maybe would have been uncomfortable coming into a classroom with a bunch of people they don't know, but joining on Zoom is a, is a safer way. And some of those folks now over months have gotten really close to the class. So um, yeah, I think our faith does matter to us. Um, and it's being demonstrated in the way that we're making the best of this and, and uh, at least, um, you know, when we show up on Zoom, 
<laughs> being positive in our attitude about what. Well, um, I brought real bacon this morning so that we wouldn't have to imagine what bacon looks like. Um, there, I, I have sort of two calls to action here, and then there, there are a couple of definite announcements I want to make sure we have time for and prayer concerns. So be thinking if you've got a prayer concern or a praise, uh, we're, we're going to switch into that time. We are hoping that maybe we will be able to do, it'll be a hybrid event, right? So we will still do Zoom, but perhaps in November, we may meet, be able to meet outside, right? That may be the as closest we can be, but we'll be outside and we may do a men's breakfast. We may do it at a slightly different time so, so, because it's so chilly in November. But if you would be interested in, in us having actual bacon in safe outdoor setting in November, the first week of November, let me know. I'm trying to get a sense of I, what I'm not trying to do is be a pioneer here. I'm trying to be responsive to the fact that several people have said, we just want to get together. How can we do that safely? And this is a good, this is a good group that has, um, you know, there are conversations that we just don't have in Zoom that we might have if we were face to face. And I want to be a person who can help facilitate those encounters. Um, that's one, number one. Number two, I am looking for folks who might be willing to make one or two phone calls to men who live within walking distance of their house, who are already in connection with RUN and who have become orphaned. They're not in a Sunday school class and probably are, you know, they came to worship. Maybe they came once a year to Christmas or whatever. It's that type. Maybe they came to job networking. They're connected to RUMC and they've gotten orphaned by the fact that we're under quarantine conditions now for you know, six months. If you'd be willing to make one or two phone calls, let me know. Uh, I know that's not an easy thing for everybody. Some people it's getting phone calls, a, don't make it a hazardous event for your emotional state. But I am looking for some folks who'd be willing to do um, you know, one or two phone calls for people that are within walking distance of their. Um, Barney, uh, will you take just a minute and talk to us about the prayer stations um, that are at the church, and then I'll head back to Jeff to tell us a little bit about church uh, church news. It's my understanding that the men have been asked by church leadership to uh, take a look at the stations that are located around our campus that have been um, uh, suffering from neglect before what we've gone through the last six months, and now that's exasperated. Exacerated. Uh, the problems of uh, neglect. Um, and so um, we've been asked to take a look at that and see if, whether there aren't some enhancements, uh, some cleanup, some repair, um, and bring our prayer stations up to a better standard. And then to make some suggestions on how we could take advantage of them um, as we get back into a startup mode. So um, Gene Osborne has promised me that he will help me and we're meeting Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock in the south parking lot. If anybody would like to help us, just do a, a survey of what has to be done, uh, make a list of the tasks and then take some assignments, see whether we can't spiff that situation up and make it more effective. For, uh, I, I normally drive the case a lot because I care for trees, but um, I, I haven't paid any attention over the past several months to, to this issue. And so it'll be a, a new thing for me too, to isolate some tasks. So help out. 
uh, willing to spend a little bit of time and repair, would appreciate it. Tuesday afternoon, two o'clock, South Parking. Thank you so much, Barney. Um, Jeff, are you in a position to give us a little bit of an update on things? Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, the the Friday blast that'll come out tomorrow, I can kind of just give you a preview for um, September 13th. Um, we're going to start allowing small groups to meet back at the church outside. Um, and so we've got a number of outside places identified. And, uh, and so, Eric, um, I, don't, I don't know that men's breakfast qualifies in terms of a small group like they're talking about. So, right. But I do think November is a good target to try to find some way to gather together. Um, September uh, 15th, we're rolling out a website. We've been working on branding and just uh, a better coordination. I don't know what your experience is going to the website, but we've got uh, things. <laughs> uh, and so we've been, uh, Todd and his team have been working on some uh, uh, ways to coordinate that better, make it look better, uh, kind of bring it up to where Roswell ought to be with that. So love to uh, uh, get your feedback on that, as, especially as it rolls out. If you notice anything that's out of place or a, a link that says we're taking you to this spot, but you don't actually get to go there or anything like that. Uh, so help, help us with that. Uh, the challenge always with a website is, is it for the people on the inside uh, to navigate or is it a way to uh, reach people on the outside? And so you got really two different audiences that you're trying to play to. And I hope that y'all are aware that, you know, in today's time, when a family moves to the area, they're going to go to our website first. They're not going to visit the, the campus and then go to the website. Uh, they're going to check. The, the website is, is the, the way that we're being introduced to the community. So uh, just be aware that, you know, that's, that's a, a significant audience that we're trying to, to reach. So a lot of what we're doing is trying to uh, catch and, and get people to come back and and then after they look us over uh, make their way on to the campus and then uh, October 4th is uh, the 5 p.m. service we're going to try to start back so many of I don't know how many of y'all were able to come to one of the services um, but it's a, a way for us to gather back together and so the service will be sort of in the same format and um, but October 4th we're going to roll that back out and be able to start, which is a great day to get back together because the first Sunday in October is World Communion Sunday every year. And so uh, with this global pandemic, it'd be kind of a way to, to celebrate coming back together, uh, but also recognizing that uh, this, uh, this virus has impacted the whole world and how can we pray for and support and help, especially with the ways in which Roswell is out in mission projects. So that's about it. Thanks so much, Jeff, for updating us. And that's, you know, um, it's great to have something to look forward to. And those are near enough out now that, you know, it's not, it doesn't seem like that far away. Um, I'll start with a, a celebration. Um, today is my oldest child's 25th birthday. And Catherine was supported by this group, by many of you directly, when in her senior year of high school, she had an aneurysm and we could have very easily lost her. So when you have a child that is touched by disease in a way that, you know, for months, all we did was hospital and, you know, the number of food 
deliveries to our garage door cannot be counted. And that's what's amazing about this church and many of the people even on this call today, this morning, you know, walked with me when I was despondent with what was happening to my child. Um, well, today she turns 25. She's happily married. And um, by the time she turns 26, she, we will have another doctor in the house. And so um, I celebrate that as a dad, but knowing that, that this high that I'm feeling right now came with some lows. And the highs and the lows are what we have to uh, embrace together. So um, that's a personal celebration for me. Do we have any other prayer concerns or celebrations this morning? Well, then, Marquis, I'm going to ask that you close us with prayer. Would you be willing to do that? Yes, sir, by all means. Thank you. Okay, let us go to the Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious gathering of men. This Lord, we know that we want to come together and praise your name in all circumstances. And when adversity strikes, Lord, your intention is for us to draw closer to you. But Lord, we should celebrate good times as well as adversity, regardless of the situation. Lord, help this group to be a light in the community of Roswell. Help this group to be a light in their families' homes, be the priest of their homes. Lord, we thank you again for this awesome ministry that Eric has put together in these circumstances on Zoom, that they continue to grow and they continue to strive for a deeper relationship with you. Lord, we ask that every family here represented is blessed by this group's gathering. And Lord, we ask for you to continue your covering of all the church members of Roswell United Methodist. Heavenly Father, we ask for these and all things through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Gentlemen, don't forget to share a little bit of what happened this morning with somebody you come across today. They would like to know that uh, you had virtual bacon, but uh, that there is, a, there is good news happening in our community each and every day. Yes. Marquis, thank you for being here so much this morning. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. And, um, Someday we'll, we'll, we'll just show up at North Springs and you'll see these faces and say, I know those guys from someplace. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Please do. Thanks, guys. Okay. Thank you. You guys have a great day. Have a great week. You too. Thanks.